Yeah, they, boy, they just keep doing it, don't they? Just amazing team we got up here uh, for music. We just love it. And it's, uh, well, Happy New Year. We, we made it. I, some, I know some people have never been more happy to turn the page on a year as they were this year. So that's great. And, uh, and then we, we had our Christmas services. Got to tell you, that, that went great. We had about uh, right around... A little over 40 people who, as far as we know, indicated salvation. Uh, We do that by packets. We know some packets went out for other people, so we don't count those. But over 40 people, so that was a great result of our last series, our Christmas series. And and, uh, so we're praying for them. So that's good news, right? Yeah, that's good news. And uh, okay, if that doesn't do it for you, then Ohio State won. All right. All right, so they're heading to the national championship, and uh, we're excited about that too. Great stuff. You know, the new year, uh, another thing is a lot of people, a lot of us read through the Bible last year. Anybody do that in here? Read through the Bible, and, and some of us are already starting to do it again. It's only the third. You could, you could jump in this afternoon and uh, do that in different ways. The, what, what we're doing is uh, a John MacArthur through the Bible in a year. And then what that does is every day you read some Old Testament, a Psalm, a Proverb, and then a section of the New Testament, and you do that, and it gets you through the Bible in a year. So if you want to join us in that, you only have to make up two days. If you do it this afternoon, you could download it. So just, just think about it. But uh, one of the things that happens at the end of the year, and maybe you experienced this or saw this on TV, stuff like that, they'll show after the year is over, at the end of the year, before the new year, They'll talk about the people that passed away. Anybody catch that? And so we, it's a time that we remember that, hey, um, not everybody who started the year made it through the year. And, and so we know that that's true of us as well. Just because we're starting this year doesn't mean that we're going to make it all the way through. And if you think about it, I've had a lot of friends who knew that, uh, that they were going to die soon. Maybe a doctor had just given them a certain amount of time. And if you think about that, um, because we're in this series, Borrowed Time, what would you, if you knew that you just had, say, a week to live, what would you tell your loved ones? What would you tell your family? What advice would you give to your family, your children, your grandchildren? What, what would you say to them? And then if they were believers, let me throw something else on. What if, what if you knew some of them were believers, and you also knew that it's going to be harder to be a believer, that persecution is on its way? I mean, believers experience persecution in other countries. We've not experienced that, but, but it's coming. You know, we believe it's coming. And so what would you tell, if you saw that coming, what would you tell your loved ones in light of that, your children, grandchildren, would you tell them, hey, lay low, you know, watch out, uh, don't say much, go covert, or be bold? That's a, an interesting question, and because uh, life is short, and we all could use some advice on how to live on borrowed time. This, this series, Borrowed Time, it's, we're looking at the, the, a letter that Paul wrote. It's 2 Timothy. So we'll be going through by chapter 2 Timothy. 
And as we do that, you, you got to know that Paul wrote 14 books of the New Testament. So he, he was a prolific writer. He, he wrote a lot. And then some of those he wrote from prison. We know that he was uh, imprisoned in Rome one time under house arrest, which isn't the mental image we have when we say somebody's in prison, because he's actually in a house that he rented. He was chained to a Roman guard. He wrote what we know as the prison epistles then, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And you know, he wrote those, and then he got out of prison, and then he, he was free for about four years. We don't know exactly, but about four years. During that time of freedom, he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus, some advice to some pastors. But then he was imprisoned again in Rome. And this time it wasn't under house arrest. He was in a dungeon in Rome. And worse than that is the guy running Rome was a, a Caesar named Nero. And Nero was a madman he was brutal, and he slaughtered Christians, even blamed Christians for things they didn't do as an excuse to slaughter them. And so now Paul's on death row. He's in a dungeon, and now he knows he's going to be executed. What's going to happen is he's going to be beheaded because Paul's a Roman citizen, and Rome would, would not even crucify the worst Roman citizen. Crucifixion was too too bad for a Roman citizen. So a Roman citizen, the worst that could happen to them was not crucifixion. It was just that they would be beheaded. Much easier death than crucifixion. So that's what Paul's waiting for. So hour by hour, day by day, minute by minute, he knows his death is imminent. Every time he hears a, a jail door clank or every time he hears footsteps coming to the cell, he knows his time is short. It is draining away. He's got limited time. He doesn't know when it's going to end. He's living on borrowed time. And, and if you think about it, in one sense, because I've known people who have experienced this, it's a tragedy to know when you're going to die. Like you're, you have a, a month or you have a week or whatever. It's a tragedy. It's hard. It's difficult. But there's another side to that that is a good thing. And that is... If we know when, at least that gives us an opportunity to prepare, to prepare ourselves and to prepare others. So we have that chance. It's difficult. It's hard, but we do have a chance to get ready, to, to, to prepare other people. And, and really, I think nothing will clarify your priorities more than knowing your life is about to end. Then all the little stuff in life, it doesn't matter anymore, Right? By the way, I'm going to knock this over. You know, it's even money. This is made out of glass whether this survives, even this sermon, but whatever. Uh, we know, you know, our, our life is short, and boy, when, when we know our life's about to end, we get laser-focused on what's really priorities in our life. And all the little stuff, it doesn't matter anymore. We have bigger fish to fry. We focus on that. And so here, Paul, at the beginning in the first chapter of this letter the last letter that he wrote before he died. He knows he's going to die, and he gives us four ways in the first chapter, four ways for all of us to live on borrowed time. Because even though we don't know when we're going to die, it's the same thing. Every day is a day closer, and we just don't know when. Paul knew it was coming close. We don't know 
how close it is. So four ways for us to live on borrowed time. And here's the first one. He opens the letter, and he basically, the first one here is, he says to Timothy, remember your faith. Remember your faith. He opens the letter with a typical greeting. Uh, it would say who it's from, who it's to, kind of a deal. And then he tells Timothy, hey, I've been praying for you. You're on my prayer list, praying for you night and day. And so that's kind of cool. I remember, you know, sometimes when we pray for people, sometimes people ask for prayer, but sometimes you just pray for people even though they don't ask for it. And sometimes I would tell people I'm praying for them, even though, they, and I know that that would kind of give them a funny look, what, what are you praying for me for? What's, what's going on? But, and I used to think, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. But Paul does it here at Timothy. Hey, I, I'm praying for you night and day. We always focus on what we can't do. Here Paul's in prison in a dungeon, and he's focused on what he can do, pray. Night and day. Scratch out a letter before he dies to Timothy. And so then after he does that, he reminds Timothy of his spiritual legacy. He reminds Timothy that Timothy has, a, that Timothy has come to faith, that Timothy's mother has come to faith, and Timothy's grandmother is also a believer. So he says, hey, he talks about, remember, Timothy, your faith, and it's the same faith your mother had, the same faith that your grandmother had, and we don't know if they came to faith at the same time through Paul's ministry or one after the other. We're not really sure because all this happened, you know, pretty fast. It's all in the first century. And so, but what we do know is Paul's reminding Timothy of this spiritual legacy in his family. And really for us, that's a takeaway that's huge. For us as parents, our number one priority, and we would get this if we were dying, our number one priority in all of our life for our kids is that they would come to a saving faith in Christ. That's the most important thing. Nothing trumps that. That's what we want for our kids, right? And so, Paul is laser-focused on this. He's talking about their faith, and that's how we need to be. Our faith doesn't automatically transfer to our kids, right? They grow up, and they have to make their own decision whether they're putting their trust in Christ or not. It, it doesn't. We, don't, we can't share that in that way. They have to make their own decision. Now, probably like uh, Timothy and maybe Paul, their dads probably weren't believers. My dad w wasn't a believer. But my mom made sure that I had an opportunity to go to church and to learn about Christ, to learn biblical truth. And like you, I wanted to know truth. I wanted to figure it out. Okay, is mom right on this or is dad right on this? Who's got this right? And parents, hey, that's our most important job. And by the way, as a church, we're going to help you with that. It's primarily your responsibility to teach your kids about Jesus, but we will come alongside you and help at our, at our um, Grace Kids Children's Ministry and our Fuse Student Ministry. You know, that's what we're doing. And uh, I, I remember, and by the way, these are opportunities that you want to get your kids involved in these things because it's good for them. And I know people say, well, you know, what's going on in Fuse? They're doing this, doing that. Yeah, I don't know all the stuff they do in Fuse. I know what I used to do. But what I do know they do is there's 30 to 45 minutes of preaching the Bible and how it applies to their life every time. And so that's happening, and we should take advantage. I just heard a story of a young lady, a student, 
who became a Christian about a year ago. And she was from a non-Christian family, and so she came to Fuse, she loved Fuse, but then she had to get a job. And her job worked, it was in the evening, so she's a student, and so she couldn't come to Fuse, it conflicted. And so she was talking to her youth pastor here at Grace and said, you know, I'm not able to come to Fuse. Well, the, her youth pastor said, hey, what you should do is you should go talk to your boss and ask them to switch Switch your days. And she didn't want to do it because she really needed the job. She thought it would put her job in jeopardy. But she thought about it, maybe prayed about it, and she did it. She went into her boss, asked her boss, hey, can I have this night off? And so the boss rearranged her schedule to give her fuse night off. And here's what I'm saying. You may have a child who has been to church every day of their life, and they're a teenager now, and you think they've heard it all. Your student needs to be at fuse for that student. And I don't mean not only as your student might help and encourage that student, your student needs to see that student's commitment to coming to hear the Word of God because she doesn't get it anywhere else. You know, huge job. And so we want, and then what Paul's kind of saying for all this is say, remember back when you put your faith in Christ. And that's good for all of us, right? Remember your faith. Think back to when you first became a Christian. For me, you know, I remember, hey, God, God reached down to some insignificant kid in Roswell, New Mexico, and just plucked him out of the dirt and allowed me to see his truth and respond to his good news, his message of his love and forgiveness available through Christ. And so what I'm telling you is the moment in your life that you realized that you were a sinner separated from God, a holy and righteous God. Our sin separates us, but that God loved you anyway, and so he made a plan to allow his son to come and die to pay our sin debt so that we wouldn't have that as a barrier, and then we can have a relationship with a holy and righteous God. And as soon as we admit our sin and put our trust in Jesus, that's when we become a believer. Think back to when you became a believer and remember the joy, the confidence, the love, the gratitude that you felt that there was a God in the universe who loved you personally. It's huge. And every once in a while as a believer, we need to think back to that. So that's number one. Remember your faith. And then the second thing Paul's saying here is renew your gift from God or reignite your gift from God. And that's in verse 6. He says it this way. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so he's saying, kindle afresh. And, and that's an imagery that maybe in the last hundred years we've kind of lost that was forever in human history. And that is most people aren't, aren't starting a fire every day or the wood stove like we always did. And so kindle afresh, it's that imagery of you got coals and they're starting to die down. And what do you do? You fan them, you take your hat off and you blow on them, you put fuel to them, you get some air going in there. And what happens? They burst into flame, right? Whatever you put there just ignites if you have the coals. And it just it's kind of like you're camping, on the, you're camping, you have a campfire, you let the fire burn down, and then you have those nice hot coals, and you get out your skillets, your cast iron, and you throw it on there, and you cook it up, and then the whole time it's just perfect, no smoke, just coals, and then you're done, you put everything away, and how fast can you pop that fire back? 
It doesn't take long at all. You throw some more wood on there, you fan it, and boom, it's going again. Paul's telling Timothy, rekindle your gift from God. And he says the gift that you got, remember back when I laid my hands on you, that laying on of hands is probably uh, Timothy's conversion, that Paul was there and was praying with Timothy during that time. Some say his ordination, but when his faith and his mission is recognized. But when we trust Jesus, when any of us trust Jesus, as soon as we put our faith in Christ, then God comes into our life. The Holy Spirit comes into our life, and he brings with him gifts of the Spirit. And I don't want to get all mysterious. This is not mysterious. It's when we become a believer, God comes into our life, but every single believer, God says, the New Testament teaches us, he brings gifts into our life, enablements, abilities into our life so that we can serve the church, so that we can serve him primarily through the church. And every Christian has these, or one, or more. It's different for everybody. And if you want to find out what that is, we actually have a class, our serve class, that you can take and learn more about that. Because sometimes, you know, you have to figure that out a little bit and then figure out where you fit in the church because everybody has a part to play. Every believer has a part to play in the local church, and that includes Grace Community. So think about that, that 301. And, and here's the other thing I noticed about this. I think a lot of us, when we think God wants us to do something, we think, well, God's job is to come and stir us up. God's job is to bring that to our mind. God's job is to get us excited about it. God's job is to get us fired up. But that's not the way Paul's saying it. Paul's saying, you, Timothy, you fire up your life. You stir up the gift that you already have. You rekindle the flame that's inside of you. That's what he's saying. It's already there. And so remember that the same Holy Spirit that was in Paul as he's writing this letter and the same Holy Spirit that was in Timothy as he's reading this letter, maybe after Paul died, we don't know, is the same Holy Spirit that lives in us. We have access to the same Spirit. We, if we're Christians, we have the same Holy Spirit as they do. And we get that we can all serve God more. Think about it this way. If Jesus was here and he said what Paul said, hey, stir up the gift that God has given you, what would you think for you personally that might be? So it might be different. I mean, that's gift of the Holy Spirit. What do you think God wants you to fan into flame so that you could kind of get with it, so that you could kind of do what God's called you to do, so you could take your place for God's kingdom. And so that's number two. So the next thing is he kind of gives us the why of that. He says, hey, you need to not only remember your faith, not only rekindle the flame, but you also need to recognize the provision that God has given us. And this is verse seven, which happens to be one of my favorite verses. I didn't memorize a lot of verses in high school, but I memorized this one, and it goes this way. It's a little different the way I memorize it, but it goes like this. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, or fear is the way I learned it. It really means fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love 
and of sound mind or self-discipline, or in the version we're using, just discipline, but that's what it means, of discipline. And so this timidity really means fear, and, and I want to think through this for just a minute because there's different kinds of fear. We're told as believers that we should have a healthy fear of God. That means an awesome respect. We know he's the God of the universe. We're, we're just stains on the carpet. You know, he can squash us like a bug. You know, we recognize his majesty, and so we fear him in that sense, but we know that he loves us. But that's not the word that he's using here. The word here, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, fear here is a cowardly, timid kind of fear. Uh, where we're, it's a little more of a character issue, where we're not following through like we should. It's shameful fear. And I know a lot of you, know, we're probably thinking, well, I don't, you know, I'm not ashamed. I don't have a cowardly fear. Well, before you write off fear, where Paul's saying, hey, don't do this. He's not giving us a spirit of fear. Well, then maybe we ought to think about this. When, do you ever hold back on telling someone about God because you're not sure how they're going to react to it? Okay, well, that, that's what we're talking about. That's timidity. That's that fear that we should not have. Or if that's not it, well, you can just look at other things like, you know, worry in your life. That's a fear issue. He's saying, hey, God has not given us as believers the spirit of fear. And so what, it, what has he given us? He says it right here. Power. Power, first of all. Power, love, and discipline. Power. I memorized this verse in high school in the high school weight room. But this, this is way more than physical strength. He's given us a spirit of power. And this power means that God has given us strength to do what he's called us to do. It, that's the power. It's power to accomplish his purposes. And notice what's happening here. Paul is trying to fortify Timothy, trying to build Timothy up, trying to give Timothy, the courage that he should have as a believer. And he's reminding us, and Timothy, and us, God's given us power. He's given us power to serve him and do what he wants us to do. But not only that, he's given us love. And as you know, there are different words for love in the New Testament. And this is the most famous one, agape love, self-sacrificing love. That's what he's given us. You see, when God's given us strength, when we know that our security is in God, and we know that our, our eternity is sealed forever, and we know that he's given us power and he's given us his spirit, well, all of a sudden we are freed up to not worry about ourselves and start selflessly loving other people. And so we can pour into them because we don't need to get a bunch of stuff from people because God has filled us up. We have everything we need, which then equips us to give love, to give to other people, to be other-oriented in love. And then not only that, he's telling us self-discipline. And this is a calm, self-controlled mind. And I think you... The best way to illustrate this is when there's an emergency or an accident and some people just kind of start falling apart. That's the opposite of this, self-control. 
I remember one time uh, Pam and I were, most of our family were down at a wedding. It's either in Columbus or Cincinnati, and we were down, down there, and it was late. And uh, because Jake and my daughter Jake and son-in-law, my daughter Jake, my daughter Bree and my son-in-law Jake were also at the same wedding, my other daughter, Carissa, our daughter was watching their dogs. And uh, it was late at night. We're traveling back. It was a pitch black night. And we're coming back, and Pam gets a call, and she's sitting right next to me. And, and the call is, it's Carissa. The dogs have gotten out. And one of the dogs got, got into the road and got hit by a car. And this is a busy kind of a highway. It was nine, Route 19 North, uh, up past the old Kmart. And uh, so the, she's there. And talking about the dog's laying in the road, he's still alive, and there's this big story. And all I can do is, like, I'm just going, where is Carissa? Is she in the road? Get out of the road. Make sure she is out of the road, because the dog's in the middle of the road. Where are you at? You know, we don't risk human life for animals. If they didn't see the dog, they won't see you coming around this curve and this dip. Where are you at? And she's got a level head on her shoulder, and she was okay, but it was like, you know, what, we, what, what you learn as a first responder or a cop or an emergency medical technician is you go in to deal with the situation. You assess what's going on, but you have to be aware of the bigger context. You have to be aware of the big picture so you don't destroy yourself before you can help somebody else. You've know, got to see what's going on. And so that was ingrained in me. So I'm saying, what about Krista? And by the way, I so that's control. That's thinking the way. So I told this story first service, but I didn't end the story. So I had a whole bunch of people coming up later. So what happened to the dog? <laughs> hey, the whole point is Carissa was okay, all right? <laughs> but the dog lived. Actually, she got the dog out of the road, and then I came about an hour later and carried the dog to their house, and then it, was, it couldn't move. But anyway, it, it just recovered. It, I don't even think it went to the dog hospital. But anyway, it's, it's okay. So Flow lives today. But anyway, the whole point is, be aware of your surroundings. Have control, self-control. And so he's saying, remember, remember your faith. Number one, how do we live on borrowed time? Remember your faith. Reignite your gift, what God has given to you, like he's given to every believer. Recognize God's provision, power, love, discipline. And then the last thing is right here. Respond with boldness. Respond with with boldness. All right. So last service, I didn't finish the dog story. So I had to finish it over the, you know, several times. And then I realized that a few weeks ago, I told a story that I haven't finished. All right. That's the Christmas gift story. Anybody remember? So remember, so about a week ago, I'm telling you that I'm shopping for Pam, which is not an easy thing for me. All right. I'm just not that creative. And so I'm looking for a gift and then I find the perfect gift. And what it was is Pam had wanted a clock to be fixed in our house. And I started checking on how to do that. And I'm thinking, I like this clock, but the clock part of it is junk. I mean, this is just messed up. What I should do is get her a better clock. Well, then I was looking for clocks. Well, then I went down to a clock shop in town, Joseph Wise on State Street. I go down there. Well, then I'm looking for something else. But then when I'm down there, I see that they have all these refurbished grandfather clocks. And I'm like, I see one of them, they have a bunch, and I see one of them, I'm like, this 
would be perfect. By the way, disclaimer, just because I think it's a perfect gift for my wife doesn't mean you think it's a perfect gift for my wife. All right, so anyway, I see this grandfather clock, and that's the one that I messed up on. I'm like, oh, of all of them, this is the only one that kind of works for our house. This is perfect. Man, this is great. I'm, I can't believe you have this. Wow, that's a decent price. She even cut the price, and I'm like, wow, that's great. And then I did the, I'll think about it. Stupid, because then what happened? You know the story, right? It was gone. It was gone before I could get back there. So now I'm on this search. Now I think I have the perfect, out of the box for me, unique gift. I'm looking all around, and then I find another one on the other side of Chicago. But, you know, I'm thinking, well, that's going to take me a whole day, and so that's not working. And then I find another one over by Bowling Green. And about that time, I'm trying to figure out those options. The the lady at the clock shop, the owner calls me and says, hey, Kevin, just to let you know, we found another clock, a lot like the clock you were looking at, because I know you're disappointed in that, and we can refurbish this one. You want to come down and look at it. So I go down to look at it, and I'm like, yeah, this is great. And, and here's what I don't do. Let me think about it. I, I didn't do that this time. I said, yeah, I want it. They go, we can have this refurbished by Christmas. And I'm like, perfect. You'll have this done by Christmas? That's great. And so, you know, I signed the deal, I paid them, I locked it all in, and sure enough, they had it done by Christmas. And so during this whole, let me just tell you one more thing. During this whole process, I'm telling Tim what's happening. Hey, you know, first it's, hey, Tim, I found the perfect, unique gift for, for my wife, Pam. She's going to love it. I would have never thought of this. I just stumbled on it. I'm not smart enough to think of a good gift, but I found a good gift. You know, this is great. It's really unique. Nobody would have ever thought about it. And I'm tell, then, then I come in, I say, I lost it. It's gone. Now I'm on the search. And so I'm telling about the search. And then I found him. I got one. I mean, and then the about the time I tell him I got one, it's all done. It's all sewn up. It's, it's going to be ready. You know what he says to me? Finally, after all these conversations, he goes, yeah, that's what I got Becky last year. <laughs> what? I hadn't been to his house in a year, you know, COVID and everything. That's what he got Becky last year. What? Sometimes it's a real pain to work with Tim. I'm just letting you, he seems like a nice guy. Sometimes it's a real pain. So now I already know what I'm getting her, Pam, this, this year for Christmas. I'm going to find out what Tim got Becky. And then I'll just do that again because it worked. But anyway, here's the thing. I was bold. You know, the second time around I learned my lesson, right? I'm bold. That's what he's saying. Respond with boldness. God has given us a spirit of power, love, discipline. So what? Here's the so what. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher." Do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying, hey, you got power, love, discipline. Get with it. Make it happen. Kindle afresh. Get going. 
That's what he's saying. Respond with boldness. Don't be shy. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. But we struggle with that. Think about the last couple months. Everybody has an opinion about our country. Probably you, just like I have, have voiced opinions about our country as you've talked with other people. The weird thing about that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the weird thing about it is we as believers know what would benefit our country more than anything else would be that more people would become followers of Christ. That's really what would benefit, that would benefit our country more than anything we can do politically. But we talk to people all the time about politics, and again, nothing wrong with that, but it's way less important than talking to people about Jesus, about the gospel. So sometimes we talk about the less important thing, but we neglect talking about the most important thing. But as people, all of us, living on borrowed time, we need to keep our priorities right. Why aren't we bold for Jesus? Because most Christians are afraid of ridicule, of awkwardness, of what that will do to that relationship with that person that you're talking to. Now, that's different than strategizing when I'm going to talk to this person, although sometimes we just put it off forever. But what's, what's going on there? In a sense, it seems like we're ashamed of Jesus. You ever wonder what Jesus looked like? You know, we don't have any first century paintings to know what Jesus looked like, so, so we don't have a record of that. Do you know what the earliest depiction of all of our archaeology, do you know what the earliest depiction of Jesus is? It's called the Alexamenos Graffito. The earliest depiction of Jesus is actually some graffiti scratched onto a Roman wall. And it's not very flattering of Jesus. That image was scratched on the wall about 100 to 150 years after Paul wrote this letter to Timothy just before he died. I, I can show you the image. Here's, here's what it looks like. And that's kind of hard to see because it's been scratched over, but that's, that's what it is. It's a picture of a man being crucified, only he has a donkey's head. And then there's another man in the foreground with his arm up in worship. And then there's an inscription. And here's what it says. The inscription says, Alexamenos worships his God. You see, they're drawing a picture mocking Jesus and then mocking Alexamenos' faith. That's the earliest depiction of Jesus that we have.
because Alex Amenos stood for Jesus in Rome during persecution, and he's mocked. And the first mocking kind of goes like this, you serve a crucified God? But then it gets more personal about God. We can expect ridicule. It's okay. We are called according to God's purpose. We, all of us as believers, are called according to God's purpose. I remember before I ever thought about being in ministry, uh, I was at Colorado State and I took a philosophy class. And so in the philosophy class, it kind of, it eventually got around to religion and it got around to the Bible. And I didn't appreciate what the professor said about the Bible, so then I rebutted him, by, and, and then we got in a discussion about the Bible, and then I, as proof of the Bible's authenticity, offered up prophecy, biblical prophecy as a proof of divine inspiration of Scripture. So, you know, we're having an argument, and, and through that class, I became the back row defender of the Bible, which is intimidating because, first of all, the professor had read the Bible way more than I had read the Bible, and I knew that. He made that very clear. And then that debate just kept going on and on and on. And, and it, it's intimidating because I'm thinking, if I, maybe I should just shut up because if I botch this, all these students are going to be even more inclined to reject the Bible than they were before I said anything. You know what I mean? Maybe you feel like that too sometimes. But God got me through there, and I thought it was a benefit to the students afterwards, but it wasn't me. And here's what I think happened, or what I know happened, is Jesus told us when He was being persecuted, He told His followers, you're going to be delivered up to prison, you're going to be called on the carpet for your faith, and He says, I am giving you the Holy Spirit who will tell you what to say. Luke tells us that, Luke 12, 12. Matthew tells us that. That if we step out for God and we think, well, I'm not sure I'm qualified to do this. I don't know. He will help us. And I remember coming back with some answers as we were having a running debate that went over days that I, you know, I felt that, that just smarter things than I thought I could come up with, God brought to my mind. Nothing weird about it. Just, you know, I said something. Then later I thought, oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> that, I wouldn't ever, you know, I, I think that's a God thing, you know. Be wary of, a, of imagined self-limitations. You, believer, have the Spirit of God. He has gifted you. Be wary of limiting yourself on what you can't do. God has called us. He has a plan. We're just involved in His plan. It's not all on us. We do our part, but it's God's plan. Don't be so worried about messing it up. Be bold. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. And then Paul doubles down. Next verse 12. For this reason, Paul's saying, for this reason, I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And for a lot of us, that reminds us of an old hymn uh, that we sing. And 
Paul here is basically saying that he has the confidence and the security of knowing God. That God has him forever, no matter what. That even if we lose this life, it's okay. We have God. This isn't all there is to life. That's what we know. And, and what I'm thinking about here is, you know, we're, we always talk about, hey, it's important to know what to believe. You need to know scriptural truth. You need to know what you believe. That's important. But even more important is to know in whom you believe, right? Christ is everything. Our faith in Jesus will be increasingly attacked. It just will. It's coming. Maybe slowly, but it's coming. We will increasingly be under ridicule and attack. We should expect it. Scripture tells us that's going to happen. We got to take up the challenge. We have to be bold. Why? Because we must guard the treasure that God has given us. Look at, look at the next couple of verses. Verse 13, and we'll wrap with this. Retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. After that, by the way, Paul goes on to name names of people who stood against him while he's in prison and people who rejected the gospel. He wasn't shy about it. He named names, and we'll talk about that next week. But right now, Paul and Timothy are gone. And God has left it to us, our generation, to guard the truth for our generation and the next generation. God's called us to do that, every believer in this room. We are God's messengers to our generation. God has entrusted to us His message. The, 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 the baton, it's in our hands now, His good news. We can't avoid our responsibility. We must not ignore our responsibility. We're, time's up, right? Some of you are saying, time was up about 20 minutes ago, Kevin. <laughs> Time's up. We don't know how long we have. God has given us a mission. He's given us purpose. He wants us to act. He's calling us to be bold. My question to you is, before God today... What does that mean to you? What is God calling you to be bold about? Because he's calling all of us to be bold. There's a few people I want to point out real quick. As I mentioned that we had you know, around 40 people, a little over 40 people, uh, that we can figure out indicated salvation. And some of them, the way we say kind of, sort of, we think, is because we don't know all the names. And so if you're in this room and in the last, say, three weeks or so, you've put your trust in Christ, as far as you know, for the first time, understanding everything, maybe you picked up a packet, well, we would love to know who you are. And in order to do that, we'd just like you to grab one of the cards in the chair rack in front of you, write your name, and then put, I think there's a box that says receive Christ last week, but we'll, we'll count it for three weeks or whatever. Just mark that or just scratch in there, I'm in. Just let us know. And your next step, by the way, is believer's baptism. 
And the other thing that will help you is, uh, is our membership class coming up, our Connect class is what we call it. We'd love to have you there. But for those of us who have been believers for a while, how is God calling you to be bold today? Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your, your goodness, your grace that we don't deserve, your gift of salvation that we could never earn. And God, that you not only save us, but you come into our life and you bring gifts to us, a gift or gifts that we are to use to serve you more effectively, especially in the church. Help us to take up our roles, to do what you've called us to do, to be a witness in our generation to everybody around us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.